Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. Cool. Let's jump in, guys. So we are back for another episode of the Pair Program. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, uh, my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, what's going on? How you been? I've been all right. It's been a, been a rough week. Uh, we'll probably get into it when we get into my pairing. So uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> let's save, save that therapy session. Um, yeah, let's, let's give the listeners a quick heads up on today's episode. Uh, so today we are going to be discussing the scenario in which a tech startup scales uh, without having maybe a CTO or a, a technical founder or co-founder in place. Uh, so we've got a couple of, of excellent guests here to provide their insight on the topic. Um, Dane Baker, a founder and CEO, who's been scaling his startup EcoCart. Um, and we have Jason Cole, a, a consulting fractional CTO, helped a number of startups scale out in this exact scenario. I'm confident that both of you all will bring some, some helpful perspectives to our discussion. So Dane, Jason, thank you for spending time with us on the PAIR program. Thank you for having yeah, us. Thanks. Good stuff. All right. And well, we, um, we like to start uh, every episode with the fun segment that we call Pair Me Up. Pair, pair um, me here's up. Where we go around the room. We'll shout out a complimentary pairing. Mike, you start us off, buddy. Yep. Uh, so uh, we're going to go with uh, pager duty and coffee. Uh, so uh, this week I was on call uh, <laughs> and uh, there was a couple, couple pages that made it all the way up to me. So uh, coffee was definitely key in getting, getting back into functional space also for my birthday my parents got me a new pour over coffee set so it was quite well timed but coffee's Ooh, been top of my mind yeah yeah i'm uh big into french press right now my my uh, I, I can send you a link my mom found this like guy who says how to do french press properly and uh and then yeah he's very opinionated uh but he's right about really good <laughs> you said paper duty or pager duty pager duty pager duty so i was on call yeah yeah yeah, I like to just tuck a little bit right between the cheek and the gum on those long nights. That's really the best way to go. <laughs> That's on right. my own French press. Uh, <laughs> Whatever gets you through. Good stuff. All right, I'll, I'll keep it rolling. Uh, so my pairing today is going to be the World Cup and uh, empathy. So as of this recording, you know, we are in the midst of the World Cup. It's been super exciting to watch and follow. And you know, every time it comes around, every four years, it's the time for me i kind of reflect and think back like where was i watching it at that time in my life and um i've had some exciting experiences watching the world cup overseas and i think back to like in 2010 watching usa when we lost to ghana in the round of 16 um i was at a bar in laos and there's just people from all you know different countries all walks of life kind of all cheering along together and as much as there's that competitive nature to it um, you know, I also feel like there's this level of empathy that presents itself. So, you know, folks share the feelings of, of, a, of a team loss, even if it wasn't like their own team, I feel like they can still kind of relate to it at some point because their team probably experienced a win or loss, uh, at one point as well. So, um, I felt it again today, actually getting a haircut and my barber, you know, she's South Korean and South Korea is playing on the TV and I could just kind of pick up on her emotion and motivation for her country to win. So, uh, you know, had some, had some empathy for, uh, win or loss. I, I felt like I could relate to her. So I ended up watching the end of that too, by the way, it was an incredible finish in the 90th minute. Um, but, uh, the world cup and empathy, that's, 
that's my pairing. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Dane. Uh, maybe just give us a quick intro and tell us your pairing. Yeah, so happy to. So, uh, yeah, thanks guys for having, for having me. Um, excited to be here. So I'm Dane, oh. co-founder and CEO of EcoCart. Um, happy to, to dive into EcoCart now if that's, if that's the right time. Um, so, yeah, EcoCart is, uh, we built a technology to calculate and then offset the carbon footprint of a consumer purchase. And um, we apply this to the vertical of, of e-commerce um, is kind of our, 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 our first vertical. And so we sell this technology to retailers. And we have over, we launched about two years ago. They have over 2,000 brands now that, that use our solution um, to give their customers an option at checkout to offset their order. Um, we've built a whole suite of tools to help a merchant you know, show their customers that they're a champion of sustainability um, and, and, are, and are undergoing this initiative. And so that's the that's what we built. Um, and, you know, we've been growing the team uh, pretty quickly since since we launched two years ago. Um, we're now we just crossed about 40 folks. So we're really cool. excited about uh, the growth so far and and about the, the future in front of us. I mean, I think, you know, at a really high level, you know, we fundamentally believe that you know what we're building is becoming standard in the e-commerce landscape and you know if you're if you're a consumer you know going through a checkout flow in the next three to five years you know you're, you're not going to not have an option to make your order carbon neutral and or at least have that done for you and so you know we're really excited about this this uh powering this movement uh that that we are and so yeah that's the that's the quick background on myself uh pairing as i'm staring out the window at some rain uh, is going to be uh, a rain and a productive weekend is what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Good stuff. Maybe you can help Mike out with some of his uh, <laughs> some of his laundry. Is there laundry lingering? Good stuff. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I get motivated when it's just like, hey, I'm not missing anything by being indoors here in front of the computer. Get some packs and work out. You got it. Good stuff. Well, awesome mission too at EcoCart. Love, love what you guys are building. Um, Jason, let's pass along to you. Uh, your your intro and uh, and parent. Yeah, Jason Cole. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Deprimus Consulting, and I've been working in technology startups and building products, teams, and companies for about thirty years now. And over the last five years, have been a fractional CTO for about fifteen different companies. And my team at Deprimus, I now have four of us who are all fractional CTOs. And right now we're serving about uh, six companies uh, concurrently as fractional CTOs, as well as advising and leading development teams for a few more. So uh, have a ton of experience in this space of how to build without having a technical co-founder. That's usually how the conversation starts. Um, and uh, I started Deprimus five years ago to test a theory that you could build a company based on generosity and based on helping people build their companies, uh, whether that was for a charge or for free, uh, and that you could still actually build a successful business around that. And so far, so good. Uh, my pairing is uh, a mountain bike ride and a hard day. I find nothing clears the cobwebs out after a particularly stressful day, like getting out on a rocky trail and just banging my, my way around for a couple of hours. You can't continue to worry about how the day went when you're riding. You have to be 100% present or your face is going to meet the trail within the next 30 seconds. 
So I find for me, when I have those really rough days, the best thing to do is just to get out there and push and uh, force myself to kind of reconnect with my body and with the space around me. And by the time I get back, I'm too tired to be stressed anymore. Solid. Do you have any like go-to trails? I got a couple of friends out out that way. So I was curious uh, if there's one that you recommend. Marshall Mesa is right outside my door practically. So that's my that's my go-to ride from home. Uh, and then Potasso Preserve, which is just up the canyon from Boulder, is probably one of my favorite rides because it's really, it's not too hard. It's nice and swoopy and has some nice technical sections, but I'm at the age now where like I'm not riding down cliff faces. So <laughs> Uh, I like something that is going to challenge me, but also I'm still going to remember that I had fun by the time I get to the end. Right. Won't be permanently forget what happened. Uh, <laughs> right. yes. I've had uh, a few of those rides too. Those are usually up higher in the mountains, but uh, you try to try to make sure at this point that you're coming back in one piece. Good stuff. All right. Well, I'm I'm excited to jump into the conversation, guys. Thanks for the intros. Um, let's let's get into it. So. Uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be talking about startups that scale up without having a technical co-founder or founder or CTO in place. Uh, and again, we strategically chose our guests uh, given their diverse experience on the topic. So I'm going to jump in on this and start with you first, Dane. Uh, if you can just shed some light for our listeners on how EcoCar started in those early stages, you know, what was kind of your strategy going into the build of the product, knowing that you and your co-founders weren't, you know, engineers by trade? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. Um, let's see. So I'll, I'll give a little bit of the kind of the backstory. So um, my, my co-founder and I started EcoCart uh, really because we lived uh, the problem in our last company. And, um, you know, all of the companies that I've started in the past have all, um, you know, had a similar thread of trying to make the world a better place in some way, shape or form. And, um, and so, you know, the last company that we started was an online peer-to-peer rental marketplace business that we figured was was better for the environment than than consumption. So renting being better than consumption, and you know um, the sharing economy being good for the environment as a as a net whole. And so that was the thesis. As we scaled, it became very complicated and very expensive to accomplish that and to sort of deliver that deliver that same sustainable shopping experience that we had set out to create. Uh, so we tried a lot of things. We tried to buy offsets, hire consultants. It was really complicated and expensive. So realized there was a problem and one that we really wanted to solve. So we sold that company and started EcoCart based off of this idea. Um, and so, you know, that takes us to about four years ago. At the time, um, you know, we, my, my co-founder and I are not technical, uh, as, as you have uh, described. And so we wanted to do a few things. We wanted to first test the hypothesis behind what we were building and make sure there was customer demand before we invested time in 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 building because we knew that um you know we him and i together make for a really good team and we didn't immediately have a cto slash co-founder technical co-founder to um to to call upon frankly so we didn't have that um that, that engineering network Honestly, and so um, you know, we we figured we would go at this ourselves um, and uh, alone, and we figured that we were, you know, we wanted to probably um, outsource the development of the first iteration of our product, and then bring things in house once we maybe raised a little bit of capital or or had some revenue in the door. So that was kind of the general plan, um, and that's exactly what we did. We um, 
you know, wanted to first test the hypothesis that this would work. And so uh, I flew to, to CES in Vegas and I just went booth to booth and asking merchants there if they would be interested in a solution, actually selling it as if it was already built um, and, you know, trying to get that customer demand, um, had a business card and everything. And, and, they, uh, and, and uh, that was how we got the first, you know, dozen or so merchants. Once I, you know, really validated that, that demand, we came back and, and started to build it with that outsourced firm really quickly. And, uh, and so that was the first iteration of our product and how we, and, and, you know, kind of got over that hurdle of, of building, uh, without, without a technical co-founder. And, uh, that's awesome. So I, I am curious on one, uh, the outsource firm, you know, was that something that your investors recommended to you, or you just knew somebody through word of mouth? How did you come across that firm? Yeah, uh, word of mouth referrals from, uh, you know, our network is kind of how it came about. And then when did you, I guess, first hire up uh, a technical resource internal? And what was the role or, or I guess, even title, I guess, of that person? Yeah, yeah. So we then decided to, again, build that and, uh, you know, shift that, that build in house. And so we went through the 500 startups accelerator program that's how we got our first pre-seed uh round of capital so we had some 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 capital and resources to be able to hire folks and so that's exactly what we did we uh went out and, and found a head of engineering to uh join the team and uh and um you know started to again shift that in-house slowly but surely and so that's that's what we did and um you know ultimately that shift was a tough one honestly right like it was uh, it was one that we had to, um, you know, dedicate a lot of time and energy and, and resources into into um, into that shift. But it, it ended up working out for us. I'm curious on the on the shift. It, was it what was it that made it difficult? Were you guys trying to actually move what was built by that outsourced company in house and take ownership of it, or were you trying to like build, knowing what we know now, we're going to build the next version of this at, while that outsourced company maintains it? Something in between. Yeah, so it was it was kind of a, a something in between. It was it was something that I mean, really, the challenges came because um, you know the individual that we hired on to lead our engineering efforts did not you know wasn't the same person that built the thing, right? And so right. Mm-hmm. that's you know that's an inherent challenge a, a bit. And so we um, you know ha- had some sort of slow going in terms of getting things developed, and um, you know the outsourced firm that we initially you know hired to build the solution um you know there was uh it was it was they spoke a different language and so there are a lot of like comments in the actual code base that explained how things worked or in a completely Mm -hmm. different language and so uh it was it was a challenge in that in that regard um and also we 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 didn't uh we kind of went cold turkey with them we didn't really we didn't think we needed to have them on retainer to continue, mm. like to continue the handover process, and so that was mm. uh, also an inherent challenge because we kind of had to figure everything out ourselves. And so um, that's that was a little bit of our experience. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've got a couple other questions I want to tap into that, but I'll, I'll quickly jump over to to Jason, and then we'll 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 come back to that, Dane. Um, so, Jason, just for context for our listeners, maybe you can expand on what the role of like a fractional CTO might consist of, like maybe a couple of different scenarios that you've come across where your service comes into play for, for these early stage startups. Yeah. So a fractional CTO is uh, usually someone who's fairly experienced. So someone who's got 10, 20 or more years um, leading technology teams. 
and they're serving a company and doing it usually one to two days a week. And that can either be a dedicated couple of days, like you get Mondays and Wednesdays, or it can be kind of spread across. But it's it's basically a way to get somebody who's got a ton of experience and to be able to afford that experience where a full-time uh, person at that level would just be completely out of reach for most companies, kind of pre-Series A um, or pre-Series B maybe. So the kind of the way that it works, you know, from my perspective is I'm usually working with two or three clients at once. I'm shifting between them and um, I own the product development uh, or technology development for them. I'm understanding the business strategy, figuring out how technology either delivers it, if this is a tech forward software product company or the technology strategy enables it and accelerates it if it's more of a tech enabled company. And then I'm putting together the team that's going to deliver it or leading the team if they're already in place. I'm putting together a plan that says, here's how we get from here to there. And then going and executing. And the goal is put together a plan, get it in action, build a team that's going to continue to carry this plan forward and then replace yourself. And ideally the company's growing. And so as they grow, they do get to the point where they need full-time technology leadership and can afford it. And that's usually the time where uh, a fractional CTO will actually hopefully uh, help hire their replacement and then sort of hand off the keys and, and move on to the next one. And when you backfill yourself, you replace yourself, um, is this the type of thing where you're still in the seat and you're kind of doing the interviews with the, with the, with the folks that are coming through the door and trying to figure out if they're going to be a good fit for the, for this founder, uh, for the, for the leadership? Yeah, often. I mean, you're really, most of the time you're working with a company that doesn't have a technical co-founder. So they don't have anybody in that kind of C-level leadership seat or maybe anybody on the leadership team who really has the technology experience and expertise to be able to even know what a good hire looks like. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, and in those cases, I have been interviewing prospective replacements, um, have been even working through my network to try and find somebody who I think could be a good fit and is looking for a full-time role. And the goal, I mean, with every one of these companies, I'm treating this company and product and budget as though they were my own. So I really want to make sure that it's going to be successful and that the next person is going to just kind of pick the ball up and keep running with it. And we don't go through any sort of three to six month transition period where they're going, I don't know who this other guy was, but he was a complete moron. We have to change everything. How do you, so since it's important for the companies to be successful after you What's your vetting look like for actually which customers you take on? And, and are there are there any like that you're just like, yeah, this isn't right for me? Or like, how do you, you I'm curious how that part of it works. Yeah, you want to make sure I think in it's in many ways, it's it's the same kind of thing you would go through if you were considering becoming a technical co-founder, although it is a little bit lighter. Um, I don't have to worry too much about whether I think the company absolutely can succeed or not. I'm looking at it from the perspective of uh, are these people that I feel like I, I can work with? Um, are we ethically, morally, and sort of personality-wise aligned? And I've had a few where I've said, yeah, that's good for you if you can get people to pay for that, but you frighten me a little bit. <laughs> um, 
And uh, I'm looking for, do I feel like I can actually find the way that technology can make this successful? So a lot of times it's, do I understand the product? Do I think we can actually go build it? Um, but for those companies where it's not building a software product, it's more looking at it and saying, how, how does technology actually make this happen? Mm-hmm. And do I feel like I can bring the right skills to bear to often find the right technology and, and select and buy versus build? And do I feel like I can actually get them where they need to go? Um, and then it is some, some level of it is do it, does it feel like this thing even has legs at all? Uh, but I've also part of what I've been kind of trying to do these last five years is help people achieve their dream of starting a company. So I don't have to say, Oh, this is going to be a unicorn. If I believe, yeah, this can actually make it can survive that there's something there that they can go and take to market. Uh, I just want to help them try and get there. And, you know, the other thing that's interesting is I don't have to be the expert in their business. Right. Mm-hmm. What's, what's interesting, and Dane kind of talked about it, the founders are passionate about what they want to do. They know the space. They know what the customers need, hopefully. Uh, they just don't know how to deliver the tech. So I know how to deliver tech. I can absorb the business domain. And the, the fun part about a lot of these projects is we all end up learning from each other a ton. So I'll come out of there an expert in that industry, but I don't need to be one to get started. Mm-hmm. Dane, uh, you have a, co- a co-founder, just one co-founder? That's right. Um, and what is, one, your background and what's his or her background? Yeah, yeah. So we, um, we both come from um, a founder background. So we started a couple of companies together um, and then each of us, have gone on and and invested a bit within the like VC world. And so, you know, we, we come from a pretty similar background in that we both um, founded companies together, albeit with a different skill set than, than each other. And, and it really works well in terms of kind of, you know, complementing, complementing each other. Um, but we both as well have, um, have the this, this, this shared passion for, the mission and the work that we're doing. Have you worked with engineers and, and like product teams in, in your background prior to founding EcoCart? So a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, the last company that we both started was more, we, the actual technology was more out of the box than, than, than anything. And so we largely paid for like a platform as a service then, and then like, building an internal or even or even managing an external edge team and so that's kind of as part of where the challenge of um learnings early on came from right it learned a ton uh about about engineering generally and managing engineering teams over the last you know two to three years and and so i wish that uh i would have i would have met jason two years ago we would have been <laughs> having a little bit of a different combo about that well, I'm always curious too, you know, because you made a, an interesting point when you say you hired a head of engineering. And I think this is something that, you know, we've seen a lot of companies where they, they get caught up in like, well, I think I need a CEO, right? Because we need somebody that's just going to lead and build the department um, when really that's not what they need. They need somebody who's more of this kind of hands-on, almost lead engineer. It could be a founding engineer, but um, did you tap into some advice and maybe it came from 500 startups or 
uh, just from you know your own network of what what should I be looking to hire for right now, and and what you know what are my options, and what should I be looking for in the, in the skill set of this person? And I want to peel that back a little bit more because I think that first engineer hire I think is a really interesting talking point of what that skill set looks like from people management to just you know really good hands on engineer. Uh, so how did you navigate the you know this is what I think we really need at this stage. You know, I wish I could say there was a lot of thoughtful discernment that went into it at the time. I, I wish I could say that. Really, it was just, we, you know, again, we were starting from a place of uh, there's this code that lives somewhere in the ether that I don't know how to access. I don't know how to read. I don't know anything about it. And it governs our entire revenue and our ability to 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 garner further revenue and so it was more of just let's bring on someone who knows how to code it was really the the who also you know who has of course who who passes the you know the culture check and everything to do with what the soft skills we were looking for um that was really just the the our first that was that like you know kind of taking taking you through into my mindset of how uh, at the time, right, which was again, um, there's been a lot of learnings between then and now, but that was the the initial kind of thought process there. Yeah, that's interesting, Jason. Do you have um, any any insight onto that on how you advise folks when you talk about backfilling yourself? What are the questions that you are kind of like asking with the founder, and what are the things that you're recommending when you talk about like the mold and the profile of the person that they actually need at this? stage in their growth. Yeah. And I think even before talking about replacing me, when I talk to people who are starting with, well, somebody told me I need a technical co-founder. Um, what do I do? I think that there's really, there's two pieces of that and you've kind of touched on them, but one is what kind of company are you? Are you a tech forward software product company? In which case you are going to need to have a very strong leadership presence owning and, and setting the path for that technology or are you more of that tech enabled company and for the tech enabled companies it can become much more of talking about buy versus build and looking about how do we assemble the technology that we need what do we need at a certain point in time where if you're a software company if you don't have a product you don't have a company uh, so starting with that and then from there figuring out okay how much technology investment do we need to make? Who needs to be doing this? And I think with the tech enabled companies, you can often get somebody who's sort of tech savvy, but not an engineer. And in some cases that's actually smarter because an engineer is always gonna wanna build. It just, any, any empty space must be filled with code. And so you can't get a real balanced buy versus build because it's always, they look at everything in the market and they say, well, I could do it better. Um, so that, that side, you're kind of looking for more of somebody who can kind of assemble and guide the business side of the team through that decision of how do we, how do we help this accelerate? If you're on the software side, then you're really talking about what do we have to invest right now? What do we need? And uh, to me, it's always the difference between do I need a builder, meaning I, as the non-technical founder, know what I want to do. I can set the product vision. I can kind of connect the dots between business and 
what the software needs to do. So I just need somebody that I tell them what to do and they go build it. And that's more of that founding engineer or first engineer. Or do I really need somebody who can make that translation from business to technology? And that is really more of the CTO. And I think the, the biggest mistake I see companies make early on is they will not have anybody who can make that translation. They've got business savvy founders who really don't understand how to make the technology do what they want to do, but they know they need it. And then they try to bring in an engineer or an outsource team and just tell them what to build or hope that they're going to figure out what needs to be built. And what you end up with is often an engineer who's got their hands poised over the keyboard saying, okay, tell me what to do. And you've got the business founders saying, I don't know, you tell me. And then everybody gets frustrated. Uh, if you get more of that senior CTO person who's, who's used to standing at that intersection between business and technology, they can make those translations. And then they're the ones who are really making sure that whoever the engineers are, that they're doing the right thing at the right time and focusing on the most important thing at any point in time so that you can be as efficient as possible. So that's like, that's, that's kind of the tree that I walk people through. And then from there you say, okay, now based on what you need for the company, what can you do right now? Do you and think they can't afford to bring that leader in? Then it's like, okay, well, either you're not ready to start your company, which sometimes is the best answer rather than flailing around and burning $50,000 to find <laughs> out that you were not ready to start your company. Uh, or you're coming back and saying, okay, I need to go and get a little bit of guidance or I need to learn myself a little bit more to be the leader that the company needs until we can fill some, fill in that gap. Do you think there's companies that are sort of in that consulting space that where they, they can actually help do that translation. They have the engineers, but they also have like some senior product experience and they can really help that founder translate. Um, and I'm curious what your experience has been. I've worked with a couple of them. I've had mixed results. Um, some that really, if it's a niche uh, like market where there's certain players and they definitely know these are the technologies that get plugged together, like then it goes really, really well. If, um, and then other cases, the other side of the extreme. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, there are some. Uh, I, there definitely are some that bring a little bit more of that. In a sense, it's almost product expertise instead right. of tech engineering expertise. Um, I think almost all of them will say that they do, which is the problem. <laughs> yes. And you do have to really be careful and ask a lot of questions of, okay, well, how do you help me? If I just show up and say, I've got this crazy idea, I don't know how to make it happen, what are you going to do? And if the answer is, well, we'll start coding, um, that's a bad answer. Uh, but I think some of them will bring it. The, the advice that I normally give people, especially if they say, well, I'm just going to go and hire an outsourced firm. I mean, I think Dane kind of learned some of this uh, as in his trial by fire. What I tell them is you need to expect that at least half of your time is going to be spent guiding that team and telling them what to do. So if you're not ready to do that, get ready before you start paying for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the horror stories and a lot of people that I end up actually helping are often ones who tried to work with an outside firm, didn't have anybody who could help actually translate and lead and set priorities. And they end up with this flaming tire fire of a code base. And then they're 
you know, they want to add one more feature and the, mm -hmm. the development firm says, okay, that'll be a hundred thousand dollars because we can't extend this any further. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I'm, I'm curious, Dane, for your opinion and Jason, both of you, like, um, when you're looking at those firms, um, what are some of the questions beyond just what can you help me with? Like, I have one in mind that I think of, like, what's the transition plan? Like, how do you see yourselves working your way out of this contract? I, I don't want to be married to you for the entirety of my product's existence. So are there any other questions like, like along those lines that you can think of that you would be sort of talking to about them? Either one of you. Yeah, Dan, go ahead. You've, you just went through this. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe in retrospect are the questions what, you wish you'd asked. should you have asked might be the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So I mean, again, like have learned a ton over the last three years. You know, I mean, we have since moved all of our engineering in-house. We have a team of about 12 going on 15 engineers. And so, wow. you know, we, we, we've kind of hard shifted, right? Um, over the course of that time, you know, I have also have learned a ton about, you know, um, the, the, like the type of persona that we need at different stages. I think, you know, early on, as Jason just kind of alluded to, you know, it was really important for us to have someone who, you know, can, can just execute, who can code incredibly well, right. As we've scaled, um, now what's really important to us is, um, someone who, uh, can lead their team, like a, a true engineering leader, someone who is focused on people management and people development and org structure building and infrastructure and code reviews and setting up all of the efficiency and process behind developing code at, at a high velocity. And so that's, you know, now what, what, what I'm focused on in terms of, um, you know, how, how I can guide and lead the team a little bit is in that way. Um, early on, you know, for us, it was, you know, we needed someone to execute and we needed someone who can, who can take over the code and, and help us, you know, bring on our first couple hundred customers. Like that was like, you know, the do or die for us at the moment. Cause again, we were, we were an early stage startup. I mean, we were, they were like, mm -hmm. they were like, it was just pretty much my co-founder and I at the time we then, you know, brought on a, a head of engineering. It was just three of us in a room that were just like, you know, building. And trying to and trying to you know secure demand for the solution and 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 make an impact and make a difference in the world. So that was a little bit of our journey. Um, it's obviously you know changed a lot in, in how I think about things and I've learned a ton. But that's um you know that that's kind of our 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 journey a bit. And that head of engineering, you know, you said you brought on when it was just a couple of you. Um, has he or she proven to be that that's that person that has evolved into a, a leader as well of people, or was that already a trait that came along when, you know, when they joined, I'm just curious in terms of, we hear a lot of times getting layered, right? So maybe you hired a head of engineering and then your team grows to 15 engineers. And now you're like, actually we might need a VP of engineering now. Um, and maybe this head of engineering, isn't that person to be the VP. Uh, how does that play out for you? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great question. These, things certainly have crossed my mind. And again, as I've learned about, you know, like just how to build an org structure within, within uh, a field that was completely foreign to me over time. Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, so, you know, we, we've had a few different um, uh, folks that have, have led our, our engineering team, you know, over the last couple of years, right. That first head of engineering wasn't the right person to scale our team um, to what it is today. And so we, you know, we, we, we parted ways. And now we have a, a, a director of engineering who's leading our engineering team of 12 and, and, and doing a great job. And so, um, you know, that's, that is the, 
uh, kind of context and an evolution of what we've had to have, ha- have had to go, but certainly have thought about, you know, again, there's different personas of people that are relevant for certain stages of, of a company. And so for us, the early stage is very different than what it is now, which will, you know, might be very different than what it is in, in two years. Mm-hmm. From now. And so that's just, that's just the nature of, of the game. And I think it's just so interesting that, you know, there doesn't have to be this negative stigma around like that we parted ways well you know maybe that was for the best you know and it, and it's the type of thing we see quite a bit in product too of like look i need you to get my product to this stage and then we're obviously going to be doing feature builds and I don't, i'm not sure like that's not your expertise and that's not you know no hard feelings uh but being able to part ways and do it in a sense of you know like a fractional cto it's like it's like i'm coming in here for one for for a certain period of time and and i'll know like i'm not here to just drag this thing out for years you know, and so uh, I think it's just a fascinating concept of doesn't have to always be looked at as like, well, didn't work out. You know, this is this is a disaster. Very much agreed. Yeah, I, I, I say my job is not to embed myself like a tick in every one of the companies that I work with. <laughs> um, and it's you, I, you you bring an interesting point up. And I think this may be a podcast for another day. But uh, the idea of needing different people at different stages and not only do you need that sort of, as the organization grows, we need people who know how to manage a large organization. You need different personalities, even in those individual contributor roles. The engineer you need when you are three people in a room just trying to get the first 100 customers is not the same engineer that you need when you've got 10,000 customers and you're starting to figure out how to scale and how to write solid, repeatable code um, there's, there's a whole sequence of, of personalities. And in fact, a healthy startup as it's growing, you see those people peel out. Um, I, there's a great model that I heard a while back of, uh, explorers, settlers, and town planners. And you need the explorers early on. They're the ones who just will hack it together in a weekend. It works. You, you, now you've got a product that you just got done selling at CES and, uh, you can now actually show it to people, yeah, but those guys will lose their minds when you start building process and you start having agile rituals and we start having to have a daily stand up. They're like, I don't want to talk to people. I want to code. You actually see those people roll out and that's a, that's a healthy transition as you go. And as they are replaced by people who are actually excited, not about hacking something together in a weekend, but are excited about building something that scales and building something that now that you're solving different problems. And those are the kinds of problems that they get excited about. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I mean, I agree with you and in general, but I do think that there are some people who make those transitions naturally that have been in startups. They know what's necessary early on. Like there's, there's certain engineers that I've worked with multiple times where I'm like, yeah, I know he or she knows what needs to get done right now. And they also know what the next, level layer or two layers look like and they're going to be able to to transform into that other type of engineer going from hacking it together to like okay now we need to build something maintainable sustainable mm-hmm. extensible yeah. that type of stuff um yeah so if I, want I just, to. right there's it's rare um but it's one of those things i think um if you are an engineer and you're looking at things like recognize where your sweet spots are what do you enjoy doing what don't you enjoy doing and don't make it like a confrontational thing like just recognize that this is the evolution of a company it's the evolution of your career it's the evolution of things um and it makes those conversations a lot easier of like this is what we need now this is what we're good at like and um whether you know it doesn't always have to be this uh friction uh and and 
negative connotation. Um, but yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's the manager's job to be asking that question all the way along. Absolutely. Is, you know, here's where we are. Here's where we're going. Mm -hmm. Here's how that's how, here's how your life's going to change. Do you want to come along? Right. Is that if what you not? Want? Right. Great. Let's, let's separate on happy terms. If so, let's talk about all of the things that are going to change in your world. Right. And all of the things that I'm going to do to help you get there. Absolutely. Yeah. We're wrapping up on, uh, on our time on the topic. I'd, I'd, I'd love to, uh, you know, do a follow up on this just because I've got, I'd love to hear some horror stories as well of what you've seen out there, Jason. Because I've I've got a couple too. We we we've seen a couple of things. Uh, we did a fractional CTO engagement with a company where the offshore dev team just owned all of the code base in their name in the GitHub repo, and uh, so we we were like, we need guardrails up here. Like, we need to clean this thing up. But um, I'm sure we could we could uh, exchange war stories for a lot longer than the time that we have. Halloween um, episode. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you should. And I can tell you about the uh, the single developer who took an entire site hostage and then even after they got it back, continued to hack it <laughs> until they finally paid a ransom. <laughs> wow, that is a good one. All right. Well, yeah, we'll have to save that. that that's uh, that's what we'll open with on our next episode. Um, I, I had one quick, quick question for you, Dane, in terms of like you said, was it 14 engineers on your team? Um, how many product folks do you have or do you have a product team? We do. We do. Yeah. So we, um, we now have a, uh, we, so we broadly have sort of org, orged it into EPD. So engineering product and design and our product and design team is five folks. Okay. And then you have 14 folks on the engineering side. That's pretty healthy. Yeah. Tech team in terms of you said you're about 40. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So about cool. half, half roughly around on like within EPD, right? And then the other half mm -hmm. across go to market and and support, and is kind of how we how we think about it. Nice. Well, I I want to um I want to transition us to the the five second scramble here, um just because you know we've we've got uh, about eight minutes left, so I'm gonna I'm gonna transition us. This is um this is a segment where. You know, I'm going to ask each of you a series of questions. You give me your best response within five seconds and like a rapid fire Q&A, um, some business, some personal. Um, I'll go ahead and start with, with you, Jason. Um, so as a founder, leader of a startup, what is the number one thing that you would say that keeps you up at night? Uh, continuing to find more business to keep everybody fed. What's the number one trait that you look for in people when hiring engineers to a startup? Oh gosh. Um, somebody who's excited about the challenge and is curious about the business. What's your favorite aspect of working at Depremis? Uh, that I get to put the question, what is the generous response at the front of every single conversation? Cool. What's the biggest challenge that startup founders will face in 2023? Learning how to bootstrap. What's your favorite programming language? Um, basic. What's the favorite state in the US that you've ever traveled to? Uh, I think I gotta go with uh, Massachusetts. Most delicious food item you've ever eaten? 
Um, I had some amazing pasta in Florence, Italy last year that will probably never leave my taste buds. <laughs> um, favorite superhero? Right answer. Yeah. All right. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. All right. Um, Dane, you are about to be on the clock. I'm nervous. You ready to go? I'm nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> um, what problems are you solving at EcoCart? Uh, we are solving the problem of it being really difficult and expensive to show your customers that you are a sustainable brand and help you accomplish those in a really frictionless and um, you know non non complicated way. Who are your users? Yeah, so well, our you know our our customers are our merchants, and you know of course their customers, their shoppers are um, also really important to to the entire model. So it's, you know, we're inherently a B2B2C company, but we're, we're building for, so we're building for both. What type of engineer thrives at EcoCart? I would say um, very similar to Jason's answer, actually. One that's really excited about the problems that we're solving about our mission. Um, and one that's also curious about the business side of things and, and driven by business outcomes. What's your favorite part about working at EcoCart? Getting to wake up every day and um, work on helping make the world a better place in some way, shape, or form. And, and just the act of building is, is what drives me. What's the number one trait you look for in a co-founder? Uh, complementary skill sets, my own, uh, actually. And so, and we could probably go on for, you know, uh, about a whole podcast episode of what, 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 where my weaknesses are. <laughs> what's the favorite country you've ever traveled to Ooh, spain hello spain nice that's the right answer <laughs> yeah <it's> awesome <laughs> um if you had one day left to live would you spend it with morgan freeman or denzel washington oh wow that's a good one. <laughs> oh man uh, morgan freeman i mean like you just i feel like you just have to <laughs> <laughs> And then you're uh, already going to know what God sounds like when you meet him. I was going to say, does he get to narrate my death? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> just read you a book on your bet on your deathbed. Um, you prefer your eggs fried or scrambled? Ooh, fried. Favorite Disney character? Mickey Mouse, the classic. Right. That's it. These were all right answers. You guys nailed it. Um, it Good stuff, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, sharing your your knowledge and insight uh, with uh, with our audience, and um, appreciate you having uh, coming out and being on the Pair program. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. All right. Are you a startup founder or tech leader looking to grow your engineering or product teams? If so, Hatch IT could be a partner worth exploring. We've helped hundreds of startups scale their tech teams with relational and marketing-driven recruiting solutions. Check out hatchit.io hire to learn more about how we can help your teams grow.